Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Drawing Near to God by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you this morning that um, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are a God who speaks. And so my prayer this morning is that you would speak into our lives and speak into our hearts. Give us ears to hear, Father, I ask today in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, as I said, we're, t- today we begin our series on drawing near to God. Uh, interestingly enough, um, one of the number one questions I get asked as a pastor, uh, very encouraging, is how do I become closer to God? How do, how do I get nearer to God, pastor? I get uh, asked that question a lot, and it's interesting how um, and it would be interesting right now um, if I can ask you right where you're seated right now, if I can ask you this question, if I was to say to you, uh, what would it take for you to be nearer to God? What would the answer to, to that be? Many people answer that question. Well, uh, I want to be closer to God. I want to, I want to press into God. So I'm just going to read my Bible and pray more. And while that is fantastic and that is part of what we do, uh, and we will cover that, by the way, in the Drawing Near series, uh, that's not the whole answer. And that's, that's not what Scripture says. And so part of this is answering the question, what does Scripture say about drawing near, for example? And what does that mean for us? But I want to ask you a question. What does, what does nearer to God look like for you? What does that even mean? In Scripture, we will see that drawing near... Uh, in the Greek, that term means to approach, means to approach somebody. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Approach God and he will approach you. That's the promise. That's the promise that comes. But as we will see with that promise in James chapter 4, there's actually a fair bit that's written before that promise. And there's actually a f- little bit that's written afterwards. We're going to touch on portions of that. Today we're going to look at the three major places in the New Testament that speak about drawing near to God. I want to make this statement before we go any further. This statement was first coined by A.W. Tozer. It was picked up by uh, Rick Warren a bit later on. And, And the statement is this, every man and woman is as close to God right now as you want to be. I'll repeat that. Every single person right now is as close to God as they want to be. It's a challenging statement. You see, God has done his part and he's he's waiting for us. A recent conversation I had kind of highlighted a little bit of what I want to speak about today. When When we talk about being nearer to God, what does that look like? Because we can't measure nearness or distance from God according to physical proximity. I'll cover that in a moment. But but we can't measure that in metres. We can't measure it in miles. We can't measure it in kilometres or any of those things. But, but So what does it mean to be nearer to God? An interesting conversation I had recently with a father who, who was talking about the fact that uh, in recent times, his, his son's now in his late teens, but he was speaking about how in recent times he'd just become so much more nearer to his son, that the, that the, that the relationship had become so much more richer uh, and, and they were so closer, so much more closer together. And it's an interesting thing because uh, 
my question to him was, well, what's changed? Because uh, you've always lived in the same house. This, this, is not a, this is not a split family. This is not a family that suffered any divorce or anything like that. So, so the father's been in the house the whole time with the son. So physical proximity is not the problem here. That, that's never changed. Uh, so what has happened here? And as I began to ask the question, uh, you know, uh, what has changed in the recent months that has brought them closer together? You know, he said, oh, I just understand him more. We're spending more time together. We, we, we go fishing. We do this. We do that. All these sorts of things. And it turns out that I'm beginning to understand him more. He's beginning to understand me more. And, and we're getting closer and closer. And, and it kind of highlighted to me that, that being nearer or, or, or depth in relationship is not a matter of proximity, but it's a matter of experience. Matter of experience. What's happening here between this father and this son is that the relationship has grown richer because they are experiencing each other. They're beginning to understand each other. And my heart is that we would not go through our Christian walk and not experience God. We've kind of settled. My prayer over the next few weeks is that you would become spiritually discontent. It's kind of a kind of an oxymoron because in one respect I'm asking everybody to be content but um, uh, in another respect when it comes to spiritual matters I'm asking you to be discontent, uh, restless, not happy, not comfortable. That, that was the problem with the Laodicean church that we read about in Revelations chapter 3. They'd become comfortable. You know, uh, some, uh, some months ago, last year, I, I preached a message about the woman who touched Jesus. And of all the miracles in the Gospels, this one astounds me because uh, we read about the account of Jairus coming to Jesus because his daughter was at the point of death, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. But sandwiched in the middle of what happens with Jairus is the occasion where this lady comes up and touches Jesus. I don't know if anybody knows that. This was a lady that had an issue of blood for 12 years. She had uh, expended all of her resources. I love that. I love that term that they use, spent all she had. Uh, it says in one place, spent all she had. And what had happened was Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. And we read in the gospel accounts that, that, that throngs of people are pressing around Jesus. Many people are in close proximity to Jesus. But only one person out of all of those people experienced Jesus. One lady. One lady experiences Jesus. In fact, the Gospels record that she reached out and touched the hem of his garment because she was saying something inside of herself. If I just, if I, if, if I just lay hold of his garments, I will be healed. Many other people were touching Jesus. In fact, when, when Jesus says, who touched me? The disciples go, are you mad? I look at all of the people pressing around you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's around me, Jesus is saying. But once somebody touched me, somebody experienced me. And that lady reached out in faith and we're going to have a look at that, what part that plays today. My hope and my prayer as a church for all of us is, my hope and my prayer is this, that that we would be a people that experience God. You see, uh, another profound moment in the Gospels that absolutely shaped the life of Peter, writes about it in his epistles. You can't get away from this thing. It's called the glorious Mount. It was the Mount of Transfiguration. What happens in the Mount of Transfiguration is, and mountains in the Bible, you ever notice that? 
You ever notice that some of the most profound moments between man and God kind of happen at the top of mountains? <laughs> There's a reason for that. Uh, if you're at the top of a mountain, you've left everything else behind. You're kind, of, you're kind of not bringing anything with you. But what happens in the Mount of Transfiguration is the disciples remain at the foot of the mountain except for three, Peter, James and John. And Jesus takes them up the mountain with him. And while they're up there, uh, uh, the scriptures record that Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, I want you to grasp the word transfigured because that speaks, uh, in the Greek, it's metamorpho, it's metamorphosis. The best way to understand this transfiguration that happened at the top of the mountain is a caterpillar butterfly. And what happened for Peter in an instant there was, I've walked the earth and I've seen Jesus, the caterpillar, and the whole time this glorious butterfly has been there, but there's been this veil, it's like an unveiling kind of thing that's happened here. And they see Jesus in all of his glorious splendor. And they see Jesus talking to Moses, and they see Jesus talking to Elijah. And Peter says, Lord, this is good that we are here. Let me build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What's Peter saying? This is so good. I want to be here forever, Lord. I just want to remain in this spot. Ah, this is glorious. Right now, I pray that that a thirst is coming upon the spiritual tongue of every person listening to me, where you're recalling times just like what Peter's recalling at the top of that mountain. I I want to I tell you, I can remember a time in Launceston, a, a, a a Kiwi evangelist some people have heard of by the name of Bill Sabritsky came to Launceston and God was very gracious to us in these meetings because God really visited us. And well, me anyway, I, I really had a profound change that came over me at that time. But I can remember one particular night. We were deep, deep in worship. All, I mean, there was, I mean, this is a big crowd for uh, Tasmania. Please, please remember, this is half the population. We had like 2,000 people in there. And we're all worshipping together as one. The music was beautiful. And I can remember, I can remember Bill Sabritsky saying, uh, "The presence of God is here. You're going to smell a fragrance in a moment." He said, "Which is a sign of the presence of God." And I remember smelling the most beautiful aroma my nostrils have ever smelled. And I just remember in that moment, worshiping with my eyes closed. Do you know what? I felt like I was the only person in the room. I honestly did. I felt like I was. The, I felt like it was me and the Lord in this tent. It's the most beautiful moment in my life, one of the most beautiful moments. And what happened in that moment was a thirst began to, I began to become, what happened was I, I began to be discontented with being the crowd. I wanted to touch Jesus. I wanted to experience Jesus. For, for that moment, God was so real and so, you know, I spoke about, Earlier this year on Vision Sunday, I spoke from Ezekiel 37, which said, and I spoke about us living lives that are prophetic, prophetic lives. Do you know in the Old Testament, we have scribes and we have prophets. And, and what the scribes did was they, they, they proclaimed and they spoke about what they had read. They spoke about what they had learned. They spoke about what they had been told. Whereas the prophet, he always spoke of what he had seen. My heart for this church, my heart for myself, is that we would live lives that are prophetic, that we would speak, that we would proclaim, that we would live lives that convey who it is that we experience.
mountains. That uh, my, my prayer is that each one of us would be led up that mountain to experience Christ unveiled in that moment. And I'm no longer content to sit at the bottom of the mountain and wait for Jesus to come back. And I, I don't know about anybody else this morning. I, uh, for all of you that are listening to me, I, I'm just not happy to turn up. Surely there must be more to God than an hour and a half on a Sunday. Surely this Christianity must be about more than just what happens in that moment. Surely it must be more about all of that. Surely it must completely capsulate our lives. The answer is yes. If, if you want to be nearer to God, you are going to pay a price, friends. You are going to have to be like that woman with the, with the issue of blood for 12 years. You're going to have to reach out. You're going to have to move out of your comfort zones. We like to be comfortable. I don't like change, Pastor. Change is coming, friends. Change has already begun. And so I I pray only to whet your appetites this morning, that you wouldn't be be content to be the crowd. You, You wouldn't be content to be those disciples at the bottom of the mountain. You must go to the top to experience God. But but I want to warn you, this journey, it's going to be something that you may not you may not have expected. You see, the psalmist tells us, and we get to this one next week. The psalmist tells us, who is he that shall ascend the mountain of the Lord, but he that has clean heart, a pure heart and clean hands and a pure heart. That's what the psalmist says. The psalmist tells us that the friend of God is he who fears. Friendship with God is reserved for them that fear God. The fear of the Lord. Nearness to God is so much more about a posture of life than what we do. I, I, I pray you've got your Bibles with you. And if you have, I pray you would meet me in Hebrews chapter 10. See, Hebrews, Hebrews is a beautiful epistle. And we're only going to pull a few verses out of it this morning. But we're going to have a look at two instances inside of Hebrews where it speaks about drawing near to God and what it is that we must do. Some beautiful verses. And we're going to cap it off in the end today with a challenge I want to leave with everybody. But, but Hebrews is the first 10 chapters, right up to where we are now, Hebrews is speaking to Jewish Christian believers. The majority are Jewish and the Christian, and, and, and the writer is trying to expose just how more g- glorious Jesus is than Moses, how much more glorious the New Testament and New Covenant is compared to the Old Covenant, how much more glorious a priesthood Jesus holds, and how the blood of bulls and goats could never clean and cleanse our conscience from sins, but it is by the blood of Jesus. We're going to touch on that in just a moment. And then we come to the practicalities. There we, then we come to the therefore. And the therefore in verse 19 is, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. What holy places? What is the writer talking about? You see, the entirety of Hebrews is temple language. Now, we will take a journey through the book of Hebrews. And uh, uh, trust me, I look forward to the day that we get there. We're going we're gonna to finish off Romans very soon because we're going to come back together. We'll, we'll keep working our way through that. But in the epistle to the Hebrews, a lot of temple language is used. And to give you a rough idea of what the temple looked like, we need to understand this because uh, in the temple, there was the outer court. This is where you kind of began. You came into the temple. Many people are kind of, many people never went past the outer court. And at the outer court, after a series of washings, kind of cover that one a little bit next week. After a series of washings, you move into a place called the most holy place or, or the holy place. And in the holy place, there's no natural light. You're not in the holy of holies just yet. 
but you're in the holy place. No natural light, just the light that is given from the candlestick. And also there is the altar of incense. The altar of incense is a figure of our unceasing prayers. We'll cover that one in a moment. I'll, I'll cover that off in a moment. And, and then there is the shoe bread. Speaking about Jesus, the bread of life, very symbolic. Uh, speaking about Jesus, the bread of life, the bread of life, the word of God. Okay. So moving from there, we move into the holy of holies or the most holy place. And, and the writer speaks about this. That's the place where Aaron's staff that buds, a dead staff buds in this place. That's where the Shekinah glory of God is. That's where the mercy seat is. Wow. And the old covenant had a sign outside the holy places. Not literally, but there's kind of this metaphoric sign that says, enter not. One man once a year could go beyond that veil. The new covenant says, enter in. That's the message. The message of Hebrews is enter in. The message of Hebrews is the veil has been torn down. The message of Hebrews is there is nothing stopping you from moving into the holy place except for you. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that is very important. I want to, before we go any further, the confidence we have, that word confidence may also be translated, depending on what translation you're reading this morning, that, that word may be translated boldness. It means an absence of fear. It means, a, 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 and I want to challenge where our confidence is this morning. We will be looking at uh, reading the word and praying because they play an important part in building a relationship with God because you can't build a relationship unless you spend time with God. Spending time with God is spending time listening to Him and speaking to Him. Absolutely, those kinds of things, absolutely. Communication increases intimacy and that's what reading the Word and praying is all about. But it's not by what we do. We need to understand here, let's read what it does not say in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by our new constructed formulas, no, it doesn't say that. We have confidence to enter the holy places by our newly formed programs. No, no, no. No, it doesn't say that. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places because we have reached a paradigm in musical worship. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. This is not something you can manufacture. You see, there is a journey that we must take to the top of the mountain. God is waiting for us. But friends, let me tell you, every step you take towards God, if you are going to be near God, if you are going to approach God, every step is stained by by the blood of Jesus, friends. You can't get there by yourself. You don't deserve that right. <clears throat> Imagine for a moment you are boiling an enormous pot of hot oil, like you're deep frying something. And when it gets to really, really hot, you, you chuck some freezing cold water on that oil. What happens? There's an explosion. That's what happens when you put sinful man into the presence of God. They can't. There's an explosion. They're not compatible. You can't approach God except by the blood of Jesus. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying that Jesus has made the way. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Okay, so we have the confidence by, by the new and living way that he has opened for us. Notice that the temple was torn in two when Jesus died. Because what happened in the flesh of Jesus was 
the penalty for sin was paid. Unrepentant sin keeps us from the presence of God. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is the argument that Hebrews makes now. Since we have a priest, do you know, this is, this is profound. Do you know right now Jesus is ministering in the new and most glorious covenant? He's ministering before God for you. It says that we have an advocate before the throne. Jesus is adamantly defending you before the throne of God. We have a priest over the house of God. You see, the temple, the temple in the Old Testament was a place where heaven and earth met. Nothing's changed except the location of the temple. In the New Testament, the only thing that's changed is the temple is now you. Do you know, there was a time in Jeremiah's time, and you can read the prophecies of Jeremiah, but there was a time when everything in the temple looked fine. (laughs) Do you know, uh, Jeremiah, he speaks about, he speaks about the sacrifices on the steps. He speaks about the priest dressed in all of his clothes. All the ordinances were in place. All the sacrifices were in place. The priests were dressed. They were doing their duties as they were supposed to. But there was something different about the temple. The, the, uh, uh, Jeremiah says, you know what? If you peel back the curtain to the, to the most holy place, what you're going to find is your idols are there. There's no presence of God there. The temple of God was empty. There was no presence there. Sadly, I wonder if that is sometimes the case today. Our hearts are so full of idols that behind the curtain of our hearts, there's no room for the presence. Verse 22. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near... Now, four things are given us here, and we're going to cover these four things, but two of them we're going to cover today. Two of them are really important. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's cover the first one first. The the writer to the Hebrews says that if you're going to draw near to God, if you're going to approach God, let us draw near with a true heart. You see, the journey from the outer court, far too many of us are happy to live our Christian lives in the outer court. The presence of God awaits us. The uh, fellowship and intimacy with God awaits us, but we spend all our time out in the outer court. But there's, uh, to move any further, two things must happen. We must have a true heart and we must come and approach God in full assurance of faith. Now, the full assurance of faith we're going to cover in a moment, and I'll give you some examples. But I want to challenge everybody here that this true heart speaks about the motivations of our heart. And I want to challenge you to what it is, because you can do something about this. Now, I want to be clear before we move any further with the true heart, because the fact of the matter is that God must give us a new heart. That is the message of the new covenant. I will place my laws in, I will give you a new, I will remove, says God, your heart of stone, and I will give you a new heart. 
That is the act of salvation. God removes our callous, stony, hard, barren hearts and he gives us a tender, receptive heart. It can grow callous again. Absolutely. But approaching God with a true heart, what does that look like? If, if we were to come over to James chapter 4, I want to approach this because this is some language that we're not going to like right now. Uh, James has got some stuff to say. Let's, let's read from chapter 4. Let's just read from verse 6 for now. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's next week. But this week, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Another term for double-minded is adulterous. In fact, in Jeremiah, God says of his people that they are a harlot. This is, this is, this is tough language. What James is saying is purify. If you're going to draw, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then, and then James goes on and shows us what this looks like. You cleanse your hands, you sinners, and you purify your heart, you double-minded. Now, God gives us a new heart, but you can purify your heart today. You can remove the double-mindedness from your heart. If you are going to approach God, friends, if we are going to live our lives any nearer to God, we must stop having many options on the table. We have to remove the idols that so often clog up our hearts. We, we become overcome with everything else it's it's we want to be married to God but we want to have a love affair with all these mistresses in our lives do you know if you read a little bit further before where we started James chapter 4 verse 4 says you adulterous people he says do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God you need to settle a singleness in your heart we are wayward that Hebrews attacks the callousness of the the hearts of the Israelites in the wilderness. Uh, Hebrews attacks their, their callous hearts, their unbelieving heart and their wayward hearts. Purity of heart, a true heart looks like it's God and God alone. How many of us are like, God, you can have this portion of my life, but I have this, this love affair with others. You know, 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah uh, gets King Ahab, and we spoke about him recently also, but, but Elijah gets Ahab and says, you know what? He says, get all the prophets of Baal and get the people of Israel and get them here. I, I love this verse in 1 Kings chapter 17. And when they all are assembled there, Elijah says, okay, now you guys, you stop limping between two opinions. Now, in the Hebrew, that limping between two opinions speaks about having multiple dance partners. What Elijah is saying to, to Israel is, your heart is given to whoever's on the dance floor at the moment. One minute you're all for God, the next minute you're all for Baal. And what, uh, what Elijah says is, if God is God, then follow him, serve him. And what happens is, uh, Elijah kind of prepares the sacrifice and he, 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 he lays the stones, he prepares the animal and, and then fire comes down from heaven. And A.W. Tozer beautifully in his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer highlights, you know, for so often in our lives, we are, we are content to shuffle the stones. We are content to rearrange the wood. We are content to, to kind of rearrange the animal on the altar. And we are content to live our lives without the glorious fire from heaven. 
Our hearts are limping. Our hearts are content. Our hearts are for anything and everything except for God. Let us draw near, says the writer to the Hebrews, with a true heart. Remove the double-mindedness. We cannot be friends of this world and also be friends with God. Friendship with this world is enmity with God. The word enmity is actually the opposite of agape. It's an active hostility against God. God brought judgment on the people of Israel in the time of Jeremiah because their hearts were full of idols. Their hearts had... Uh, their confidence was in the height of their walls. Their confidence was in their history. Their confidence was, in, confidence was in their heritage. They had a confidence that was everywhere except for God. They had a confidence in themselves. Today, we see the same. Where today, we place far too much confidence on our programs. Today, we place far too much confidence in, in everybody else's faith. We place t- far too much confidence in uh, what we need to do is rest all of our confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ, place all of our trust in Him and realise that it is only by Him that we will come nearer to God and we must come with a singleness of heart. Nobody will find God while He's walking in two directions, friends. We must, uh, scripture is clear, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, sit down, God will come and find you. He didn't say anything like that. Jesus didn't say, sit down, take a break, lay down. No, no, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. So many of us, uh, Revelations chapter 3, verse 20 says, Lo, I stand at the door and I knock. To him who opens, I will come in and, and I will eat with him and he with me. Fellowship. Two-way fellowship. But all too often, we're content to leave Jesus out on the balcony. And Jesus says, if you want to be near me, I've got to be in the house. Jesus says, if you want to be near me, I've got to occupy the house. Jesus says, if you want to be near me, I've got to sit at your table. I've got to recline inside. I've got to, I've got to possess the wholeness of your heart. I, I need to be your priority, says Jesus. That's what a true heart looks like. I, I wonder what's at the top of our priority list. Uh, a good way to see what's at the top of your priority list is what's at the top of your prayer list. I'm astounded when I read the prayer list of Paul. Paul was praying for a greater knowledge of Jesus. Paul was praying... For, for faith that would endure and persevere. Paul was praying for things that so often escape our lips today. And so often we're happy to have Jesus out on the patio and we kind of hang our head out the window to talk to him every once in a while. We're kind of, we kind of content to have our little half an hour with Jesus and I've given you, and then we walk out like that, that's it. Husbands, try doing that with your wives. Wives don't want you to be married to them and looking at every other woman. God doesn't want you to think you can be married to him and have a heart that wants everything else. Friends, we need to assess our desires. We need to, we need to prioritise what is right in our lives. We need to have a look at the affections. Greatest enemy to a burning heart is complacency. Complacency is a... An unchecked heart. I wonder what sits at the top of your priority list. I ask you today, does God occupy a room in your house? Or does God, is God the house? 
A true heart is a heart that says, I want all of God. What would the world look like if we had churches full of Christians that say, all of God, I want all of God. Where is that time? Friends, uh, we are in a time right now. See, I shared this recently with, with a very precious member of the church just recently. But, uh, but, you know, Spurgeon says beautifully that before God clothes us, he strips us. And I believe that we are standing right now in a period of God stripping us, stripping the church, stripping us as individuals, stripping away priorities, stripping away affections, stripping away all those dance partners we have in our lives, that our heart would be true and single and devoted. Friends, we stand at a chance and an opportunity. We stand at a moment of visitation, I believe, where God desires to come, us to come near to him and him to come near to us. Let's keep... Let's keep reading on. I want to touch on the last one, a very important one that that we touched on with the lady who touched the garment of of Jesus. It says that, uh, uh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith, friends. We we so often, you know... um, A.W. Tozer, I'll read you this quote from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. And I want to put kind of a footnote to what I'm saying today. And throughout this month, I would encourage every single one of you, if you have not read A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, go and buy that book, read that book. And when you finish reading it, go back to the start and read it again. In that book, he says, the eternal world will come alive to us the moment we begin to reckon upon its reality in full assurance of faith. What is the writer to Hebrews saying here? Let me read you that quote from Tozer one more time. The eternal world will come alive to us the moment we begin to reckon upon its reality. What does it mean to reckon upon the reality of the eternal world? It means to live your life today in the full knowledge, in the full assurance, in the full conviction of the reality of the eternal world because it will alter the way you live your life today. It will alter the it will alter the course of your speech. It will alter the patterns of your thoughts. It will alter the actions of your body. It will alter the motivations of your heart. It will alter the priorities of your heart. It is a full assurance of faith, friends, that will see the fire of God fall upon the altar and consume the sacrifice. The sacrifice has changed, by the way. Therefore, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Beautiful verses that we'll get to later. The sacrifice has changed. <clears throat> Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If, if you've got your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11 and you flick over now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Let's read that one. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. We're going to read verse 5 in a moment, the pretext to this. For whoever would draw near to God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Uh, What the Bible doesn't say is for whoever would draw near to God must agree to a certain random amount of facts or or must deduce from evidence that that God is a a, a possible reality, that Christianity is a good way to live our lives. No, 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 that's not what it says. We We must believe that he exists. 
You see, believing is not mentally agreeing with a certain amount of facts. Um, believing is not thinking it's a good thing to, to come to church and be a good person. Believing is God consuming your life and your whole heart. That's what believing is. That's the belief we read about in the Gospel of John. It's not about necessarily what you think or what you deduce from evidence. What it means is it has changed the course of your life. That's what John's talking about. Believe is a verb. The believe in Hebrews chapter 11 is a verb. What he says here, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Then what the writer to Hebrews does is gives us a list of examples of what that looks like. And we are going to look at two of them. If you are going to draw near to God, I'm going to make this statement. If you would be nearer to God today, you must choose your world. Yeah, that's right. So many of us allow this world to occupy us and we dabble our toe in the eternal world. You can't do that anymore. You can't be near to God and want the best of both worlds. You must choose your world. The list of heroes of faith uh, are the list of those that uh, decided I'm going to choose my world. (laughs) That's right. They live their life here and the full conviction, it changed the way they lived. The heroes we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 are men and women, women as well, men and women who laid hold of the reality of God by faith and pulled that reality into this world. Today, we're going to take the example of two of them. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. First one I'd like to speak about is a guy that we don't know a whole lot about. Let's read... Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. He was commended as having pleased God. Here's here's what we know about this random dude named Enoch. What we do know about Enoch is this is what is written of him in Genesis chapter 5. Very small amount that says Enoch was the father of Methuselah. It says that at 65 years of age, uh, Enoch fathered Methuselah and then he lived to 365 years of age. But it says about Enoch that Enoch walked with God and he was not, it says, for God took him. That's what we know about Enoch. What we do know about the world that Enoch lived in is that it is a world and it was a world that was very much like the world Noah found himself in, uh, where the heart condition of mankind had so grieved God that he decided the judgment must come. And it is amidst this culture, it is amidst a depraved, evil, wicked world that Enoch chose his world. 
And he decided that I'm going to walk with God. Now that, that term walking with God speaks about our habitual daily routine. It speaks about the daily habitual life of Enoch was in step with God. He kept his life in step with God. That's what it means in the New Testament when it says uh, that we're not to walk by the flesh, but by the spirit. Uh, what it is asking us to do is walk each step in accordance with the Holy Spirit. We, we live by the spirit. We walk by the spirits. Enoch walked with God. Enoch chose God. Enoch chose his world and said, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to please God. I'm going to serve God. A beautiful, glorious truth we find about Enoch For all of those that have played Monopoly, you ever got, you know, round to the yellow, round to like Leicester Square or somewhere near there, and you get one of those community chest or chance cards, and you pick it up and it says, advance to Trafalgar Square, if you pass go, collect $200. And what happens is you pick up whatever memento it is that you're using and you put it on Trafalgar Square and you put the $200 in your bank and what happens is you've been taken from one place to another place and you've missed everything in between. No rolls of the dice, no moving your way slowly around, no, no progressing through a series of events. No, no, no. You go from here to here. That's what the term means when it's speaking about Enoch. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth. By faith, Enoch was taken up. Another way to, in the Greek, that word taken up is translated. It's not raptured. That's a sermon for another day. It's taken, it's translated. It means to move from one place to another. It means to repeat. Position. Wow. What it means about Enoch is that he was translated and he missed a whole lot of stuff in the middle like death. He pulled a reality into this world. Many of the men did. <clears throat> Another prominent man that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 Let's go with me down to verse 23. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. A little bit like when my parents looked at me. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Underline the word refused. I've actually got it highlighted here. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he does something really profound. Verse 25, choosing rather, choosing, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's there's a message for today's world. There's a message for today's church. It's time for the people of God to choose the reproach of Christ than the fleeting pleasures of sin. We sacrifice nearness and fellowship with God so that we can dance with the things of this world. We want to be socially accepted. We want people to agree with us. We want people to like us. If you are going to choose Christ, they are not going to like you. But if you are going to live a life here in the reality of the eternal world, you're going to need to choose God. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, but he was looking to the reward. I want to ask everybody here where you're looking this morning. If you're going to be nearer to God, you might have to change your focus. We tend to dance towards wherever we're facing, you know. You know, um, in, I know in cycling, you know, you, when, when you're cycling and you've got these road bikes with the thin tyres and you, I know if you're coming downhill really fast, for example, and you, you kind of look and there's an object in your way, I know one thing, if you keep looking at that object, you're going to hit it. Moses reorientated his life by changing his focus. He looked to the reward. I want to ask you today, what would be, and this, this is a challenge that comes to all of our hearts, what is the greatest reward God could give you right now? If, if you could have anything from God right now, if God physically appeared before you right now and said, ask whatever it is that you want and I'll give it to you. It doesn't matter. Just ask me and I'll give it to you. What's your answer be? You see, I noticed something about the heroes in chapter 11. They treasured things differently. You see, Abraham's treasure was God. I asked myself this question this week because, to be honest, I'm not sure how I would even answer that question. My hope and my prayer is, God, bring me to a place where I would answer that question more of you, God. I pray God would bring every single one of us right now to a place where the greatest thing that God could give us is more of him, where the only reward we seek is closeness to him, where the greatest treasure in our lives, friends, you will not know, you will not experience greater awareness and measures of the presence of God until it's the only thing that you treasure and the, only th- and the only reward that you can possibly have. Until God becomes your treasure, friends, your life will be in pursuit of your treasure. If you treasure things in this world, it doesn't mean we can't have possessions. Ecclesiastes is clear that we can have all of these things, but they're useless to us if, if they possess us. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. If, if you're seeking your satisfaction in the things of this world, then you are going to end up really, really bankrupt. But, but it's okay to have the things of this world. It's okay to have abundance. It's okay to be well off. It's, it's okay for God to bless you. It's okay to enjoy fruitful relationships. It's okay to enjoy long life and all of those things. But as long as they don't possess you. Because the call of the gospel is let the only thing that possesses you be a burning desire for more of God. 
hunger and thirst for righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbour as thyself. That makes the law very easy. The enormous challenge comes in what it is that we love, what it is that we treasure. Jesus challenged this of Peter in John chapter 21. The challenge to Peter was, what do you love, Peter? Because, Peter, what you love is going to orientate the rest of your life. And Peter said, I love you, Jesus. Notice in that discourse between Jesus and Peter that Jesus initially addresses Peter as Simon Peter. His, His name before the call. Hudson Taylor, the God's missionary to inland China, he made roads into China. The revival that China is now experiencing is due to the work that Hudson Taylor put in in the early 1900s. Hudson Taylor highlighted that there was a variance in the closeness, closeness to God. You have a look at the saints of old. You have a look at, uh, let's move on out of the Bible for a moment, but you have a look at the saints over the last 2,000 years and you will see that there is a difference and there is a variance in closeness to God and that variance does not lie with God. So I asked two questions this morning that I would ask you to ponder between now and next week. And the first one is, what is there in your life right now that if you stopped it, you know it would bring you closer to God. What is, what is there in your life right now that if you stopped it today, you know it would bring you closer to God? And whatever comes to your mind, friends, stop it. What is there right now in your life that if you started it, it would bring you closer to God? Friends, you need to start it. What could you start tomorrow What habit could you bring into your life? What could you start tomorrow that would absolutely see you begin a journey closer to God? Then start that. What is it that you could drop out of your life right now? That if you let go of right now, it would bring you closer to God. Friends, let go of it. Friends, we are as close to God as we want to be right now. So I ask you, as we begin this journey, how close to God do you want to be? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your, I thank you that you came close to us. I thank you that the message of the gospel is that you came down off your mountain. You came down into all of our muck and all of our mire, Lord God, and you dealt with our sin and you paved Jesus. You paved the way to the top of the mountain. I pray you would would light fires in hearts this morning. I pray that you would whet appetites this morning. I pray that affections for Jesus would simmer to the surface this morning. I pray, Father God, that every person listening to me would begin a journey into a greater life in the awareness and the presence of God. Father, I pray you would strip us of all treasure apart from you. I I pray, Lord God, that you would strip us of all priorities and affections outside of you. I pray, Lord God, that as we approach you, Lord God, as your word promises, you would draw near to us. In your wonderful and glorious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God keep you and may his grace be with you. Again, um, that link will come up at the bottom of the screen.
For those that would like to contact us for any reason, if you need prayer, if you need pastoral care visits, anything, please contact us if we can help you in any way at www.therock.org.au slash contact. And that link will come up. God bless and see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.